From COK Studios in Joshua Johnson's Jacuzzi, this is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. On today's show, we'll consider the best segments we did last year in 2016. We hope you'll enjoy this compilation of some of our favorite moments from last year. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of COK, but for now, enjoy this best of episode. Stay with us. Support for Consider Our Knowledge comes from PBN, now showing the modern spin-off of Call the Midwife, Text the Doula, starring Jane Lynch and Minnie Driver. Check local listings for showtimes. And the Alliteration Foundation, finding funding for fans of fun, fortuitous phrasing for 400 fortnights. Visit alliteration.org for facts and figures. This is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. And I'm Dinah Jones-Mallow. School is back in session, with students setting foot on their college campuses for the first time. Last week, the University of Chicago decided to welcome its new students with a letter that tells incoming freshmen that the university does not support trigger warnings as part of its commitment to freedom of expression. This letter has been getting attention on the internet and is sparking debate over how colleges deal with things that might make students uncomfortable. The University of Chicago won't cancel controversial speakers, and it, quote, does not condone the creation of intellectual safe spaces where individuals can retreat from ideas and perspectives at odds with their own. Joining us here in the studio to discuss the issue of political correctness on college campuses are Professor Norma Webster from the University of Chicago's Women's Studies Department and Quentin Dooley, Dean of Students at Albertson College. Welcome to you both. Hello. Actually, it's Dean of Student Feelings. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess this studio isn't a safe space. Oh, well. Professor Webster, I'd like to begin with you. You were very outspoken in support of your university's letter to freshmen. Why? Well, I think that we've crossed into a dangerous place where ideas cannot be expressed at all for fear of someone being offended. Obviously, we need to take care not to overtly hurt someone, but students should be encouraged to speak, write, listen, challenge, and learn without fear of censorship. So, you favor exploring all sides of an issue, no matter if they are controversial or potentially difficult. Absolutely. That's what the college experience should be about. We want to have students think critically about important issues and make sure they understand all viewpoints before making up their mind. Sheltering students in safe spaces is doing them a disservice for when they go out into the real world. Quentin, your college has taken a different approach. Yes, we have. We've embraced trigger warnings and safe spaces so that our students don't need to feel uncomfortable at any time for any reason. In fact, because of the popularity of our safe spaces, you can now major in quiet relaxation and thumb-sucking at Albertson. I see. Can you tell us more about what you do in your role as Dean of Student Feelings? Well, I oversee all aspects of student feelings, from coddling to insulating to sheltering to tender backpatting. My staff has quadrupled in the last two years, as more and more students are finding it difficult to cope and feel comfortable in the classroom. Our humanities building is now entirely devoted to safe spaces for students to color, 
read non-threatening books with lots of pictures, watch soothing and hilarious videos of baby animals, and just avoid anything remotely unpleasant or controversial. We've also abolished controversial departments like women's studies, psychology, history, and biology. What kinds of things do you consider controversial? Well, just last week, we had to cancel a humorous puppet show in our student union because there was a rumor that one of the puppets had a British accent. And we didn't want any of our students with accents to be offended. Do you worry that moving so far in that direction will negatively affect your students? How? They won't ever be exposed to any new ideas or have to confront a topic that, while a bit uncomfortable, might be important to their life. I would feel so stunted in an environment like that. Your words are hurtful and offend me. Those ideas are exactly the kind of thing we don't tolerate at Albertson. Quentin, do you need to get out your adult coloring book? Yes, and my wubby. I'm not saying you need to court controversy or difficult subjects, but ignoring them is dangerous. The puppets need to be heard. Colleges and universities are the perfect places to explore these topics under the watchful eye of trained educators and experts. What? I'm sorry, I was just coloring this lovely mandala. Fine, just stick your head in the sand and make our kids even less able to deal with the real world. Well, our school mascot is Otto, the overly sensitive ostrich, so I take that as a compliment. Thank you both for that spirited discussion. That was Professor Norma Webster and Dean of Student Feelings, Quentin Dooley. You're listening to Consider Our Knowledge. The 2016 presidential campaign has taken a turn in the past week as the Republican debates have grown surprisingly more civil, Hillary Clinton has been under increased scrutiny after controversial remarks about Nancy Reagan's fight against AIDS, and crowds at Donald Trump rallies have been getting violent. The campaign is causing some voters to react very viscerally with protests and pointed comments on social media. But not all voters are becoming agitated at the campaign's developments. Others have been inspired by what is happening on the road to the White House. Senior reporter Marta Margolis has the story of an artist who is using the campaign to her advantage. Wooby Wasco is not a Republican at all, but she says that she has been truly inspired by the candidacy of Donald Trump. He's just amazing to me. I can't remember ever seeing someone like him. Wooby has several notebooks, sketch pads, and other weams of paper dedicated to her muse, as she calls Mr. Twump. I don't like him as a candidate. God, no. My dog would be a better president. I love Trump because he is by far the greatest performance artist of all time. Wooby is a street performer in Portland, Oregon, who spent three years at a top clown college, but says she learned more from watching one Twump speech than she did in her entire time at Bozo State. His theatricality, the way he uses those tiny little hands to make obscene gestures, his clown makeup, the hair. Every time he talks, it's awe-inspiring. 
Mywin Brandon owns the artisanal coffee shop that Wooby performs in front of every day, and he says he's noticed a change in her sweet crowning since Trump became the Republican frontrunner. She's just taken her game up since she's been studying Trump. I mean, I studied mine before I opened Brewtopia, so I've known Ruby for a while. She's on a new level lately. I can afford better orange pancake makeup now because people are just flocking to see my new Trump-inspired performance pieces. <laughs> the way she makes wildly inconsistent claims while she yells at people and calls them names is art in its purest form. Sometimes it will take me like 25 to 30 minutes to make one cup of coffee because I can't take my eyes off of her performance out the window. Don't your customers mind? Uh, no, no, they're just as enthralled by her as I am. Plus, it's Portland. I dare you to find a coffee shop that can make a cup of coffee in under 20 minutes. Do you ever wonder what will happen if Mr. Trump loses the race? If it's one thing I've learned, it's that Americans love to be yelled at and lied to. If I can use what I've learned from Donald, my act will still have life after he's out of the spotlight. With all her recent success, Wooby does feel a bit like a fwad. I'm just imitating one of the great masters. It honestly feels like I'm one of those people who does counterfeit Monet paintings. I think Ruby's work will open up a whole new field of study in clowning and street performance. She's tapped into something so raw, just like Trump. I'm actually jealous. She's like the first mime. As the campaign of Donald Trump goes on, so does the intrepid sweet performing of innovative artist Wooby Wasco. From Portland, I'm Mata Margolis. Now we turn to a special crossover segment with the new NPR podcast, Embedded. Hosted by veteran reporter Kelly McEvers, Embedded takes a story from the news and goes deep. In some of the early episodes, they've gone inside an immigration courtroom, a street gang in El Salvador, and the NBA's developmental league. Now COK's own Dinah Jones-Mallow is going deep with McEvers, investigating two of America's most dangerous biker gangs for a segment we're calling Considerable Embedding. I'm Dinah Jones-Mallow. And I'm Kelly McEvers, and this is Considerable Embedding. Last year, there was a huge showdown in Waco, Texas, between two rival biker groups, the Caballeros and the Sons of Purgatory, at a bar called Stinky Pete's. There were tons of weapons recovered. Bats, guns, knives, brass knuckles, you name it. These bikers brought them to this epic shootout. It was bad, let me tell you. The Sons of Purgatory are classified by some as an outlaw gang. They're known as a group who do not like to follow the rules, and they've had members arrested for racketeering, murder, and extortion. Who are these guys? Are they all this violent and rough? I've been a member for a long time, and our boys have a real bad reputation. I don't always agree with our methods, though. The Sons of Purgatory are known as some of the baddest guys in Texas. But Ricky the Rascal says there's guys who act as the muscle, and guys who have other roles in the club. I do the refreshments. Ricky looks like a guy who could break you in half. He's six foot five, easily 300 pounds, covered in a bunch of tattoos, and yet he's only concerned with keeping his guys fed. Look, we're all big guys, and we get hungry when we go on rides. I take care of all the snacks for our guys. It's a way tougher job than being a muscle or an enforcer. 
You can't bust the heads of rival gangs without a nice, high-protein, low-carb snack in your tummy. Did you just say tummy? Yeah, I f did. So what? Nothing. I try to find healthy stuff that the boys will like. We do a lot of fruit leather. Organic, of course. I make up my own special gorp. Yeah, lots of nuts and dried fruits, maybe some M&Ms. Gogurt is really popular, but it's full of sugar and artificial colors, so I don't get it very often. Maybe once in a while as a treat. I kind of think Gogurt was partially to blame for that incident at Stinky Pete's. My guys were all hopped up on sugar. I blame myself. I didn't have time to make my usual Greek yogurt parfaits that day. Ricky says he's using his snacks to help give the Sons of Purgatory an advantage. We can ride longer and bust more heads than those other pussy gangs like the Caballeros. I do lots of cold-pressed juices with kale and wheatgrass, and my num-nums are the best. Your num-nums? You heard me. They're like a chocolate peanut butter bar with lots of good flavor and protein. All the sons of purgatory love my num-nums. While we were in Waco, we also met a man from the Caballeros, who isn't doing typical biker gang stuff either. I'm the IT and marketing guy for the Caballeros. Kyle Francis always loved the idea of riding motorcycles, but his asthma was affected by the exhaust fumes of the Harleys, so now he does this instead. I manage the gang's blog and social media stuff. I do some back-end coding as well and manage the email software. We use Outlook. Thanks to me, they found Stinky Pete's. I sent them the directions in Google Maps. If it wasn't for me, they would have totally missed that brawl with the Sons of Purgatory. What kind of things do you put on the blog? Oh, all kinds of stuff. I publish slideshows of rides and fights with rival gangs. Our members submit stories and erotic (gasps) biker fiction. Some of the language is a bit salty for my taste, but it's part of their comprehensive brand strategy. Oh, that's nice. Our guys are really focused on biking and brawling and drinking, so it's good that I'm there to send email reminders about rides and how much guys have left on their travel per diems. Kyle says that there are others like him who do basic tasks as members of the Caballeros. There's Duke from accounting. Crazy Bart, the human resources guy. Redbeard, the travel agent. And Tiny, the receptionist. Just because I handle the num-nums doesn't mean I'm not as important as the leaders of the gang. Mixing with the bikers in this investigation made us both aware that there's much more going on with the Sons of Purgatory and the Caballeros than meets the eye. For considerable embedding, I'm Dinah Jones Mallow. And I'm Kelly McEvers. This is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. And I'm Dinah Jones Mallow. Last week, Mattel announced that Barbie has gotten a makeover. A whole bunch of them, in fact. There are 33 new Barbie dolls available in three new body types, petite, tall, and curvy, and seven skin tones, 22 eye colors, and 14 different face styles. The move to make Barbie more diverse is being seen as a smart business strategy on Mattel's part, given that sales have declined in each of the past four years. Also, if consumers can see themselves in their dolls, they will probably be more likely to purchase those dolls. With Barbie being changed to reflect the skin tones and body types of the girls who play with her, the question is, what about Ken? Ken, Barbie's male counterpart, is also undergoing a transformation by Mattel. I investigated what the new Ken dolls will look like and how it will affect the population of little boys who play with them. 
Following the makeover of Barbie, Mattel has now begun work on making a more realistic Ken doll that reflects the different personalities and body types of American boys. Gone is the all-American handsomeness and the default amazing body, and in its place is a wide variety of male dolls. Barbie and Ken both need to reflect the American population and the American ideal. The difference between when they first came out and now is that the population has become more diverse, and we have a variety of opinions about what the ideal body is. Owen Graff is the Mattel executive who is overseeing Ken's makeover, and he says that Ken's update is probably even more critical than Barbie's. Barbie is, and always has been, a very popular toy for girls, but Ken hasn't ever been equally popular with boys, so we need to make him over so that he will be a more universal doll that boys will want to play with. How did you figure out how to update Ken? Oh, lots of market research. I can't tell you how many focus groups we did. It became clear that we needed to create a bunch of different Ken dolls to reach everyone. I had a ball designing these new Ken dolls. Veteran designer and stylist Peter Grigio was the man Mattel turned to to make their new line of diverse Ken dolls. After we did the focus groups, we determined we needed to create 74 different Ken dolls. Wow, that's a lot. What were some of the new Kens? Well, we've got Gym Rat Ken. We've got Needs to Lose a Few Pounds Ken. We've got Man Boobs Ken. There's also a Ken who still lives with his parents and comes with an Xbox and a pair of sweatpants. We also have several hipster Kens. One is a barista with a handlebar mustache and ear gauges. He comes with a fixed gear bike. And then there's an artisanal cheesemaker Ken who has two tattoo sleeves and an arcade fire t-shirt. You've gotten very specific. Oh, we had to. It's what kids wanted. We've got Evangelical Ken, who comes with an adorable pastel sweater vest and pleated khakis, a Bible, and a pamphlet on gay conversion therapy. And on the other end of the spectrum, we have a whole line of gay Ken dolls for those little boys. Oh, what are those like? Amazing. We went very general with a few. Twink Ken, Bear Ken, Musical Theater Ken, Closet Case Ken. He comes with a flash drive for all his gay porn and an oblivious girlfriend, Beard Barbie. Hmm, sounds about right. Then we have very specific ones like Drag Queen Ken, Grinder Ken, he's a slut, and my personal favorite, Elton John Ken. He comes with 34 different kimonos and 50. Two pairs of glasses. Did you make ones with different skin tones and hair like the new Barbies? Yes. Uh, we have man buns, receding hairlines, comb-overs, fades, totally bald heads. And as for skin tones, we have a whole spectrum from very white to more of an olive tone, like my boyfriend, Zach Efron, to light brown and then darker brown, like Tay Diggs. Mmm, yum. Sounds like you've really got it all covered. Oh, we do. We even did a Caitlyn Jenner, Bobby Ken trans crossover doll. Sorry, girl. I've got to go. A bunch of Elton John heads have jammed in the machine at the factory. Kisses! As companies like Mattel make grand, sweeping gestures towards their commitment to diversity, the makeover of Barbie and now Ken might be one of the biggest steps forward. For COK News, I'm Dinah jones Mountain. That's all for this week's episode of Consider Our Knowledge. 
If you'd like more from the best-looking news team in public radio, go to our website, considerourknowledge.com, for more news and stories. You can also get breaking news from us on Twitter, at ConsiderOurKnow, and follow us on Facebook. The COK team includes Emily Clausen, Natalie Thorpe, Jeremiah Knight, Spencer Cannon, Hobart Willis, Marianne Wetzel, and Libby Mitchell. A special thanks today to David Ogden. Our intern is Ryan Shattuck. You can subscribe to the podcast at iTunes and at Stitcher Radio at Stitcher.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Connor Bentley. I like to stretch it out. Stretch it out. <laughs> <laughs> what exactly do you like to stretch out? My legs, Connor. My legs. Your third leg. Yeah. Oh,